Hi, I'm Lara Johnson-Wheeler and I'm a writer slash editor slash broadcaster. This is The Fashion Slashy, a Click and Me podcast. Every episode, I will be talking to a member of the fashion industry whose work I'm keen to know more about, delving into their process, their trajectory and how they navigate a career in fashion. Click and Me is the fashion network, helping creatives connect and collaborate better. This episode has been recorded remotely under lockdown conditions implemented by the government. You may hear birds, cars, or occasional household sounds in the background. This week's guest is Theo White. Theo, could you introduce yourself, please? Hi, my name is Theo White, and I'm an artist, publisher, slash art director, slash stylist. I've exhibited work at the Now Gallery, Soft Opening Gallery in Piccadilly. Um, I've also worked with musicians Cosmo Pike, Wizkid, to name just such a few. So, Theo, you gave me four slashies in your introduction, the most slashies we've had so far on this podcast. Can you tell me which of those right now is really interesting to you? Right now, I would say publisher um, and also art director, because I've recently, well, during isolation, I've recently created mm. Six Foot Zion, which is a limited edition publication, which has got loads of amazing artists that have contributed work that were either made in isolation or on-scene archival work. The publication was made in support of the UK queer, trans, intersex, black, indigenous, people of colour um, hardship fund. At the moment, it's um, just available online but you know as things are starting to lift and open up there's a lot of um, bookstores opening so I'd love to have it in Art World, um, Dashwood Books and like you know not just in London but really great like amazing art bookstores like around the world. I hope so too. So tell me a bit because obviously there's an incredibly impressive roster of collaborators who joined forces um, you know Campbell Addy, Kaisai Jamal, uh, Anish Kapoor, Edward and Rue Enifal, um, Ib Kamara, um, Carrie Stacks, Lady Phil, just to name but a few. I think now that the zine has also kind of come into the consciousness, lots of people are picking up on it, not only because it touches in on, you know, where we are contextually with the pandemic going on, to bring together such a group of collaborators in a time that can be so isolating is amazing. But also we're situated within Pride Month and the Black Lives Matter movement is gaining sort of unprecedented momentum right now in response to a series of the horrifying murders we've seen at the hands of the police in the USA. Could you have expected your zine to have kind of encapsulated such a pertinent moment? I kind of think the project came about, it's like, um, I think at the beginning of lockdown, I was... I was a bit unsure, as I'm sure everyone else was, like, you know, what's going on? Like, what am I going to do? Like, there were so many worries that popped up in that immediate moment. Mm. And I just thought, I saw the hardship fund was going on. I wanted to do something to celebrate the community and also bring a bit of joy within this time. Mm. Um, so I just thought, you know crazily i'm gonna create this magazine and just approach like you know artists who i love and also friends and just like you know see where it kind of naturally like went with the pandemic itself you know it's definitely a defining moment within my generation in my life you know i wanted to capture the moment i wanted to see how other people were dealing with it and how they would interpret it in the visual aspect because i think art is one of those things that you know can bring people mm. together in this world absolutely i wanted to ask you about your education what did you study and where 
And how do you feel that your education, if at all, has impacted your current career? Oh, God, my education is not... Well, I don't know if it's exciting. It's really random. <laughs> Go on, that's always exciting. I know, it's so random. It's so juicy. But um, I went to... Because when I moved to England in the 90s, I was living in Hackney when Hackney was like... Mm. No one wanted to live in Hackney. But now it's like the place to be. So I went to school in like... East London and then I went to a college which you've never heard of it's called B6 in Clapton and I studied performing arts there. oh cool dancing was actually well I actually think it's one of my great loves I'm just always been a dancer so that's how I kind of started and then I went to my first audition and got a job dancing at the Hackney Empire for this lady the show called Sundance with Patty Boulay she's like a, a presenter I think from the 80s or something like that um amazing yeah really fabulous woman so I kind of like got that job and then and how old were you at this point like 18 19 17 I think I was like 17 18 okay and how long did you do that for well i did that for about three years and i did this music video um well, that's not a dj say my life this remix like years ago wait Theo, this is wild <laughs> i know it's so wild <laughs> when you first said that you had a juicy education i've got to admit i raised an eyebrow i was like how juicy can this be but no, it's so juicy you blew me away i'm just even skimming it this the details are way more juicier but we'll just keep it light <laughs> okay well um, keep going so i was doing i was dancing and auditioning for a few years i did like you know i did videos with madonna pet shop boys so i did loads of stuff I did this music video and I met this amazing stylist, um, Johnny Blue Eyes. Uh-huh. From then we kind of like built a relationship and I was working with Johnny for a few years. Actually, he's been really, really important to my life, not just in fashion, but just in general. He's been yeah. a mentor and kind of like a father figure. So um, he was very informative, I think, in where I'm at now and just my whole thought process and just being a good person and just learning mm. how things work i worked with johnny for a few years and then i started zine and then from doing the first issue of the white zine i started getting styling work and then it just things just evolved from there do you think you would um because johnny i know is sort of an artist stash stylist as well do you think you would attribute yeah. um a lot of johnny's influence to you kind of being more of a multifaceted creative or do you think i mean it sounds like that was also very innate yeah no it was innate but i also think think you know with Johnny's influence he kind of taught me that you know I think coming from Jamaica we're just you know my family they're not into the arts they're just like normal you know working people which is great but I've always had you know I always knew that there was something else for me in the world mm. I, I've always been a dreamer so I knew that I had to like make that happen I didn't know how I was going to make it happen or what I was going to do mm. So I think he was just being guided by lights and just angels. I think Johnny's definitely been one of those people. And, you know, he really installed that to me. Being free and putting the energy out there and being who you want to be, you know, and being, you know, just being. Yeah, so I think he really installed that to me. So I think... Yeah, maybe in certain ways, but I've always had a wandering brain, so my interests mm. have always been varied, but it's always been towards the arts. Yeah, always been creative. I can't, I'm completely blown away by listening to your um, <laughs> your trajectory, but I just wanted to touch on something that you mentioned that Johnny kind of brought to you, which is freedom. And you've talked quite a lot about freedom um, in your work. Do you think that by expressing that freedom throughout your work, throughout how you present yourself, you're able to represent that to perhaps 
other queer black males who want to, you know, join the fashion industry or to create art. Is that important to you, do you think? Yeah, I think because, you know, as growing up as a black man, there weren't many idols that, you know, looked like me that I could really look up to for like reference. So it's kind of like, you know, you having to create this world for yourself or this vision. I'm interested as well because your work um, as a stylist and also moving into publishing is in a way mirrored by someone who you've recently collaborated with and someone who has moved into a very important role in the publishing industry and fashion, that person being Edward Enenful. I wonder, Edward Enenful, being in that position as editor at British Vogue, how impactful do you think that's been on you, if at all? I was actually really weird. I was talking to a friend about this this week. Mm. I was thinking about, you know, what Edward is doing at Vogue and him being appointed, you know, at Vogue as a black creative is absolutely revolutionary because, you know, Mm. there's no other black men that I know that's held a position like that within my time or actually ever really. So, and I think also, you know, seeing Edward in that position is informed me that you know not that I necessarily want to go down that Mm. route but also you know the world is your oyster you can really be and do anything that you want so I think that's definitely inspired me and also with the young black queer community I think this generation they definitely need guidance and people to look up to and people to to say you know there is a place for you in this world you know you can do what you want you're gonna have to work triple double times harder but you have to believe and you have to want that change yourself I think it's very easy for people to give up on their dreams because of either like social reasons or just being black and like you know not having an upbringing of maybe an encouraging family or just people understanding you so I think you're always kind of feeling misunderstood and unsure about things and I know that I personally felt like that when I was younger but I've had to navigate that for myself and I'm now I'm at a point where it's like you know I'm not at peace but you know I know who I am and I know what I can contribute to the world but it's mm. definitely important to see representations of that. I think for me as well what's so exciting about your work is how joyful it is Um, you know as you mentioned it's very much about celebration and inspiration and hope um, rather than you know dissecting too much the darkness that people can experience yeah I mean (laughs) there is so much darkness in life and you know especially now with what's going on like in America you know the injustice the racial injustice you know with George Floyd there's a lot of these terrible terrible things that are happening in the world I read a lot and I you know I see what's going on but I choose for me personally I decided a while back you know that I'll spend my life thinking positively as I can you know trying to bring joy you know, within myself and just like, you know, having a positive outlook on the world because there is so much beauty and joy to be experienced and be seen in the world. And it's just a shame that, you know, there is this other side of really bad, dark stuff happening. But I feel like, you know, us as individuals, we can shine a light in our arena and hopefully that will a lot of people catch on to that. Absolutely. I really want to ask you a bit about your process when it came to making the zine because I'm so interested in the kind of tension um, between you being an artist as well as um, a publisher. And I wonder, how did you work with the distinction between kind of creating your own work with your own visual language 
and acting almost as a curator of imagery to put together that zine? Yeah, I think I honestly wasn't really like thinking about myself and, you know, my exact mm. contributions to the publication. I kind of just, you know, I thought, okay, how am I going to do this? The work that I wanted to see. So I wanted to have like, you know, a message of pure joy. I didn't send the artist like, any briefs. I just said, look, this is a publication I'm doing. It's raising funds for the Hardship Fund. What got me really excited that, you know, the fundamentals, as well as all these amazing artists that have contributed to the publication, was that, you know, I can celebrate people from the black mm. queer community and that's at the core of the publication. So there's like amazing chats with Ajamu, who is like a black queer photographer. And then he's in conversation with Campbell Addy. So it's like an intergenerational conversation. And that was really beautiful. Kai Jamal is also in conversation with Carrie Stacks, you know, being two very powerful trans voices, you know, within the black British community. I just thought it was fascinating to get these two voices together it's literally the most beautiful conversation that i've read in a long time and like even diaries of black queer men like you know in isolation just them talking about their lives and that you know obviously having to be in isolation with their family there's a mm. lot of complications within that i realized that earlier on i just thought this is perfect way to educate people about the community and they can like see how much joy and there's love and you know just just realness no, absolutely. I'm so excited to get my copy um, and be able to read some of these wonderful interviews and texts that you're talking about and also to have a proper look through. How do you feel that something like this and the work that you're creating now as an artist sort of relates to your career um, as it's had its trajectory in the fashion industry? Uh, I think since, you know, the pandemic, we went to lockdown, I've definitely had a lot of realizations, you know, mm. and, and, and bub and what's it called? Not bubble, but you know, light bubble. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, thinking about myself and like what I wanted from life, like moving forward. You know, predominantly I was working as a stylist because as a freelancer, that's what immediately pays my bills. Mm, really? Yeah. St styling is what I, you know, pays my bills that I can like afford to do my other side projects, whatever. You know, since the lockdown, I've really thought about what I was doing and I was working, you know, jumping from project to project. You know, I need to actually stop and think about what it is that I'm doing and what is the message. Mm -hmm. Fashion, you know, I was looking at some fashion magazines over lockdown. Uh, I'm not going to say any names, but <laughs> I just felt that I didn't have that connection. It doesn't, mm. you know, it doesn't. I'm more interested in creating the images that I want to see in the world. And obviously fashion is a big part of that. But, you know, it's also the context of what I'm trying to say with those images and the work that's interesting because i read that you said that when you moved to london from jamaica in the mid 90s you know looking at your mom's fashion magazines was something really integral to you so i'm interested to hear that that sort of become less appealing to you do you think you can kind of put your finger a bit on why that is do you think that's got to do with um the capitalist system that we work in when it comes to fashion is it about wanting to see representation in other places? What do you think that comes from? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, representation and telling. As a black queer man, I don't think anyone can tell our own stories than ourselves. So I think, you know, it's just been a natural progression like, leading to that space.
No, I've always, like, I think I've always loved fashion. You know, my mother, she was very fashionable. And she used to always buy, like, you know, Vogue and, like, Harper's Bazaar and, like, loads of magazines. I always used to just read them when she wasn't at home or, like, kind of steal them and, like... So I think that's still with me, the fantasy aspect in, like, creating an image and just, you know, everything that goes into creating a visual moment. I'm very interested as well, and I've always been inspired by the fantasy behind image-making in fashion. But I do want to ask you a little bit more about the reality of image making in fashion. You mentioned um, that, you know, styling was the predominant way that you made money. Do you have a day rate when it comes to styling? Is that something that you work with? Um, you know, I think rates are one of those things that as you gradually like build your career and like build yourself up, they change. So I've got a minimum. I know what I'll accept for a job, but it obviously varies. It's so difficult to say because each project, you know, is different. The scale of it, you know, there's loads of elements what's the benefits of doing this is this something i really want to do um and then yeah it's just one of those things that you just take as they come along absolutely i just wanted to ask you as well to what extent is activism an important part of your practice i ask this question because i'm referencing the fact that a lot of your work particularly with publishing has been raising money for charities that you're particularly interested in theo white zine raised support for the terence higgins trust and currently six foot um you've been fundraising for the uk qtib ipoc emergency relief and hardship fund so Again, to what extent is activism an important part of your practice? You know, I don't actually consciously, you know, I really, it actually, everything that I do really, it is activism when you actually think about it. And also a lot of my work does have the sense around retelling black stories and it has a Mm. black narrative. So I guess, you know, that in itself is activism. A lot of my work, to me, what might be like a chilled image with like styling, you know, someone would look at that same image and think, oh my God, that's so way out there. For me, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just the images that I want to see. I think people are going to naturally label things because people like, you know, they want to put things in categories, you know, people look at me as a black queer artist like creative and I know that for work and stuff people look at my work and like oh my god like you know it's so queer and it's this and that so they believe that I can't deliver another message and it's like you know I can do all that you know no absolutely I think hearing what you were saying just there brought into my mind two pieces of your work that I wanted to ask you about. The first of which is your series, Oh Freedom, that was shown at Soft Opening, Antonia Marsh's gallery, which is situated in Piccadilly Circus, right in the in the underground station. It's one of my favourite places to show, actually. I love walking past it and seeing what's in the windows there. But how did you feel? I just wanted to talk to you because what you were saying about pigeonholing, perhaps, your aesthetic, I think is very interesting in terms of those photos because I so enjoyed the way that you managed to flip certain stereotypes or subvert the ways that people could look at those images. I wondered if you could maybe tell me a little bit more about the reactions that you took from that body of work. Yeah, I think that was kind of the first time I'd been commissioned as an artist. Up to that point, I was just doing what creating my own images kind of thing. But I knew immediately, I was very excited that, you know, the show was in Piccadilly, um, Circus Station. I knew immediately I wanted to create images that would get people talking and people look at them and kind of like draw their own conclusions. 
But I knew I definitely want to say, you know, a message behind the image. So it kind of like took on a journey of its own. I just started looking at a lot of black negative images from back in the 60s, 50s, 80s. Like the watermelon. There's a watermelon. It used to be adverts. I saw that with the black young girl eating the watermelon in the red dresses. And there was such a negative connotation of that. And then I saw it and I was like, what is wrong with being a black girl eating a watermelon? Do you know what I mean? So I just thought I wanted to flip that over and retell those stories in my own way so when it came to i'm looking at that image now um when it came to designing the costume with the watermelon dress how closely did you work with the artist who created that costume so my friend nathan jones who's an amazing tailor i kind of just said to him that this is the idea i wanted and let's just do something Mm. that would work like we went through a few different ideas and we're going to really play with it and funny enough we shot this in a black hairdressers in peckham and the actual behind the scenes of the whole thing was so funny because it's a jamaican hairdressers it was really busy at night and there were men in there drinking it was just so funny to do the shoot there and just seeing the people's reactions just while we were on set i think they really wanted to like it but they were just so they couldn't actually deal yeah. with the visual aspects of it they're like what the hell is going on how were the models how did they respond were they kind of okay with being you know observed while in the midst of shooting yeah well there's an image actually with Xavier with the boy with the makeup bless him I think he was like mm. 17 at the time I think he was slightly freaked out and I was a bit freaked out because here he is in full face of makeup he's in like this Jamaican shop with all these men and women and the women were quite productive it was the men that felt the need to say something or start laughing you know or just to do something they just couldn't stand the fact of this boy in Peckham in this black shop with mm. the full face of Grace Jones makeup and actually that's it within itself is like an act of activism because I consciously wanted it to be in Peckham I wanted it to be the black hairdressers or barbers you know I wanted that and I think this is close because I'm always so judgmental and critical of myself but I think uh, these images are some like some of the proudest things like the work that I've done. I wonder if you could maybe tell me a little bit about that situation as an art director on set as the artist sort of in charge of creating these images how did you deal with you know that scenario of the models how responsible did you feel I'm always conscious and I feel responsible for the models because I shoot a lot of male models within my work especially black male models and the juxtaposition of what I do with them and their normal life it's so funny because it's so wide apart Mm. you know they'll come on set just dressed as normal teenage boys like and I love the idea of transforming them within my world but I always always make a point of you know explaining to them the image or explaining to them what I'm intending to do so I consciously on sets of my projects or whatever I'm doing I constantly make it a point Mm. of that there's good vibrations everyone knows what's happening and I make a point of just explaining the ideas because I think that says a lot and yeah and I think it just falls on back respect Mm. I think that's what we need more just respecting each other like each other's spaces and each other's stories you know I think we need a lot more respect and understanding I also make an effort you know some of my work has got you know sexual elements to it but I make an effort that those models are actually like queer models so I feel comfortable doing that I wouldn't feel comfortable like sexifying a black male body because it's not really the narrative that you know I'm going for absolutely 
Earlier, I mentioned two pieces of work. And the other one that I wanted to bring up is a shoot that can be found on your Click and Me profile. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about your involvement in this shoot, because it's something that I think as a creative, as someone who explores the black experience and the black queer experience, you can perhaps be typecasted a little and people think that that's kind of your remit as a creative. And I'm interested in this shoot because it very much um, is opposite to that. It's the shoot in Teeth magazine with Say Lulu, their band who is two white women. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about working on that and kind of the difference in creating those images and the look for those images. I think as a stylist, it's important to have, you know, especially I think as a black stylist, it's important to have a diverse, you know, portfolio. As I was saying, you know, people, they like to pigeonhole you, you know, he, a lot of his work is black or so you know he can't style white people he can't do this so I've purposely aimed to have a varied portfolio to show people that I actually know I can do that but I think for me what I found mm. you know pre like COVID pre the Black Lives Matter movement especially in the industry there was this thing of like you know well we've only got one amazing black stylist so that's enough we don't need another one so I feel like there's a lot of pitting black creatives against each other absolutely I just think that just really needs to end absolutely I completely hear you just one last question for you if you could try any other fashion job what do you feel that you would like to try your hand at uh fashion job Mm, I'd like because I've always worked freelance so I'd like to maybe be given the opportunity that to have a bit of structure so maybe it's working for a fashion house or you know maybe a role in a publication mm. but it'd be amazing to work for a fashion house or something I guess yeah Theo thank you so much for talking to me today I've just had such a blast hearing about your juicy education and your career trajectory as well as how you've navigated your career in fashion under such unprecedented circumstances. Oh, thank you, Lara. I've really enjoyed my first podcast. I'm not the best at doing these things, but I've enjoyed this moment with you. No, you've been wonderful. You are, and always will be, a fashion slashy. Thank you so much. Slashy, slashy! <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Theo. Thank you. This has been a Click of Me podcast. Join our community to discover, connect and collaborate with fashion creatives. You can follow Click and Me on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Stay tuned for more from me.